Mother's Day, we want to make sure we start there and say that we love our mommies and we are very thankful. You know, moms, you're the reason why, uh, why preschoolers show up with clean underwear and why teenage boys smell halfway decent and why there are any manners that exist at all in our society today. And so we just want to say thank you to the moms. We are incredibly grateful. My mom happens to be in the front row today. I can't, can't think of when the last time that happened was. You did a great job. Thank you. Thanks very much. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout, and you will see that we are, this is actually week two in a series called Love Always, and I am very, very excited about this series because, to me, this feels so foundational. I I feel so excited about articulating what we feel like God has been leading us into over the last decade. So as we talk about some of these concepts, you might remember, if you've been on the journey with us for some length of time, you might remember outlandish love and, and all that we talked about there. You might remember blessing my city and all of that that we unpacked. This is similar to these things, but we're diving deeper, and what we're finding is that it is so foundational, it is so powerful, this challenge to love always. And if you, you need to know that each week in this series, we'll be building on the last week in this series. So if you happen to miss last week, please go back online, you know, catch up. We'd love to have you with us because they, they build each week. You got to come all four weeks in this series. Here's what we want to do, though. Last week, we started with a passage from the Apostle John. John was a disciple, and this is what he says uh, as he is a pastor, as he is an apostle. He's writing to the church. He says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And as you look at that passage, and you might just want to write down sort of in the margin there, uh, love is the thing. Love is the thing, and there is no other thing that love is the thing. It's not about, you know, how much do you know about God? That's not the thing. It's not about how much do you agree with God? That's not the thing. It's how well do you love? That's the thing. That's the test. And this passage is really interesting because it says, if you love, you're a child of God. Yay! And if you don't love, you don't know God. Whoa, right? So there's that, there's that power, that, that this is a powerful, powerful passage. And last week we talked about how love, it's not a value in our faith. It's not even a primary value in our faith. Love is the only value in our faith. And then all of the other rules, all the other commandments, <clears throat> excuse me, all the other ways in which we want to live our life sort of cascade out of this value, the value of love. And the Apostle Paul talks about this too. It's not just John. The Apostle Paul, Peter talks about it. Jesus obviously very centered on this. But the Apostle Paul says this in Galatians 5, 6. He says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so you might want to circle the phrase, the only thing that counts. This is the only thing that counts. This is the only thing that matters. 
And please understand that Paul's talking about this, and Peter's talking about this, and John's talking about this, and it's very central to what Jesus says. This is not just some kind of obscure topic that's tucked into the middle of Leviticus. This is central to those who go after Jesus. In fact, uh, we had a, a great quote last week. I love this quote. It's one of my favorite pastors. Uh, it says, who do we love? We love everybody. When do we love? We love always. Why do we love? Because God is love. Love comes from God because God loves us because we are called to love. And the love we're talking about, it's not vain, it's not selfish, it's not hippie love. If you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with. It's, it's not Hallmark love. It's not flowery, you know, rose, chocolate kind of love. It, it's, it's not, the, you know, what you thought about your favorite meal or the last Marvel movie you saw. Love is, it's so much more core and it requires humility and it requires tenacity and it requires just a commitment on our part. And, and so I want to give you a definition of love. And, and so if you're filling in the blanks, you want to write this down. It is to honestly desire the other's best. And that's love. To honestly desire the other's best. The other's joy, vitality, and flourishing. And to work toward that end. Amen. To honestly desire the joy and the vitality and the flourishing. The best for the other person. And then to work toward making that a reality. So it is both a will and an action. It's a choice that we make, a commitment, and then it requires something of us. And you might push back. You say, Pastor, well, how is it then uh, that you come to this definition of love? And I would answer, it's the way Jesus loves. This is how Jesus loves us. He desires your best. He desires your joy. He desires your flourishing, your vitality. And guess what? He works sacrificially in order to provide it tangibly for you. And this kind of love that we're talking about, it's not something that you can do from a distance. You can't love in a vague or conceptual way. You need to, it requires us to get up close and personal. It, it requires us to take action, to come close. And again, this is how Jesus loves us. He left heaven. He came near. He lived among us humbly and perfectly and sacrificially. And so this brings us to the topic at hand, placing Jesus at the very center. And it's by placing Jesus at the very center of how we live and how we love that we're able to do this thing. Now, as we begin this, I want to talk about what Christian means. Because Christian has been filled with so many additional meanings. There are all of these odd, weird sort of uh, meanings that have, that have attached themselves to the word Christian. And, and it evokes like, you know, music genres and product lines. And, and there's all kinds of odd concepts that are associated with it. I'll just give you a few uh, some people think that Christian means you want a small government and a big military, and others think that Christian means the exact opposite. Some people think that Christian means you stand up for the national anthem, and some people think it means you protest the national anthem until equality is experienced universally in our country. Some people think that if you're a Christian, you must be a Trump lover, and other people think if you're a Christian, you must be a never-Trumper. And here's the point. The, the point is not that having opinions about these things are odd in and of themselves. It's just so odd that they've all been attached to Jesus. 
That's what's odd. The, 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 the word Christian has just sort of gathered all sorts of concepts to it. And, and so here's what I want to do. I want to give you a definition of Christian. And it's a phrase I've been using for the last several years. Many of you have heard it before. Because I use this phrase because it goes after what the word actually means, right? It goes back to a, an historical meaning, not with all the contemporary trappings. And so if, if you're filling in the blanks, this is it. Christian means Jesus follower. Christian means Jesus follower. Follower of Jesus. And we follow Jesus Christ and I hope you know, we've talked about it before, that Christ is not his last name. It's not, Mr. Christ, would you please sign here, you know. <laughs> Christ is his title. It means Messiah. It means the Lord's anointed, the Lord's chosen. And so we believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so I am a Jesus follower. You're like, oh, I'm glad my pastor's a Jesus follower. That's great. <laughs> Here's what I mean. I want you to note the difference. I believe in Jesus, yes, but I am not merely a believer. I am a follower. I agree with Jesus, yes, but I am not merely a Jesus agreer. I'm a Jesus follower. And so that's the challenge, right? We, we want to be Jesus followers. And then there are implications. Hey, this is what it looks like to be a Jesus follower in our world today. And because... He is to be adored, he's to be honored, he's to be elevated, he's the primary. That means that these other words and concepts that have been associated with Christian must be subjugated and diminished so that he can be elevated. And this is what's at work, this is what's all at play when we want to be people of love. If we're going to be Jesus followers, we have to get love the way that he called us to. And the only way we can do that is to bring Jesus into the very center. And we bring Jesus into the very center, and honestly, he calls virtually all of us to a higher account. And I say virtually all of us because I'm pretty convinced Pastor Josh is sinless, but everyone else, <laughs> he will call to a higher account, right? He just, he just does. If we bring him into the center, he just wrecks some things that we think are already firmly in place. So let's take a look at what this means. We're going to spell it out for you. The first fill in here, we place Jesus at the center of our purposes as a church. And many of you who are part of the Overlake family, you've been journeying with us for a while, you know that we have three stated and defined purposes. They're to love God, love people, and serve the world. And I hope that you've seen these purposes around. They, we try to put them on our website. We try to put them in our parking lot. We put them on our wall. We put them in the bathroom. Like we, we put these purposes everywhere because we want you to understand that without apology, these are the things we go after. These are our purposes as a church family. But you have to know they come from Jesus. They, can't, they come from Jesus. You know, Jesus was in his earthly ministry. He was asked, somebody came to him and said, Jesus, this is a big book. There's all kinds of stuff in this book. Many scrolls kept in the synagogue, you know. Uh, help us break it down. What's the most important commandment there is? And then Jesus answers him. He says, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he says, and the second commandment's like it. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes back into the Old Testament. He pulls those concepts out of the Old Testament. But he says, this is what it's about. And so that's what we want to go after as a church. 
Love God, love people. The third is to serve. And, and again, this comes uh, right from Jesus himself. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so right at the very center, right at the heart of the purposes of our church is the person of Jesus. We brought him to the very, very center. By the way, I would articulate for any Jesus follower around the planet who has ever lived, these are the primary things we're to go after. It's not just as one church family that we're to go after these. It's just as an individual who follows Jesus. These are the very purposes for our life with Jesus at the center. Can I get an amen? Are you with me so far? Okay. Second fill-in, we place Jesus at the very center of how we read Scripture. We place Jesus at the center of how we read Scripture. And there's this episode in the Gospels. I, I think it's this incredibly fascinating episode where Jesus is on a mountainside and he's with Peter, James, and John, his three that he was, you know, extra special discipling. And why they were on this mountainside, uh, it's, it, it was called the Mount of Transfiguration, this little episode. And while he was on the mountainside, Jesus is glorified, that the Father just glorifies him. It's like he radiates the glory of God. And then suddenly, as he's being transfigured or transformed in their presence, uh, Moses is there and Elijah's there. And Peter, James, and John, their eyes are like so wide and they're freaking out. These are the heroes of faith, right? These are the founding fathers of the Jewish faith. And, and, so, and so Peter's just so amazed. And he just starts talking. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know really what to say. So he just starts talking. And I love him for that. Because that's what I do all the time. If I have no idea what to do, I just start giving a lecture on it. That's what Peter does. So... Peter just starts, he's just, oh, Jesus, it's so great that we're here. This is so perfect. Here's what we're going to do. We should build a tabernacle or like this altar, a place of worship, one for Moses because he's the one who brought the law. And we'll build one for Elijah because he is the embodiment of the prophets. And then we'll even build one for you right here, Jesus, putting you at the same level as these founding fathers of our faith. And all of a sudden, God goes, no, right? There's this interruption from God, just kind of cuts Peter off. It says this in Matthew 17, 5. While he was still speaking, while Peter was speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Are you following me? Now, now, Peter, he was just doing the best he could, right? And, and by the way, if you keep reading the passage, as soon as God shows up, they all hit the dirt, right? They're petrified. They're terrified. They realize, wait, we are in holy ground right here. We just should shut up and listen, which honestly, that's great advice for me all the time. And, and so, so uh, th but you see what Peter's doing. Hey, let's build three places of worship. And Jesus, look, you're even elevated to their level, and God says, no, Jesus is not the equal of Moses or Elijah. Jesus' words are not the equal of Moses or Elijah's words. Jesus' work is not the equal of Moses or Elijah's work. God says, it's infinitely superior. Amen. He says, this is my son in whom I am pleased. Listen to him, right? 
elevating. Now, many of you have read this passage and you've processed this passage, but you've never seen it for what is really being communicated, the supremacy of Jesus over all, right? This is that unique relationship that we have with the Son of God, God incarnate, love in the flesh, and, and it's not the only place this shows up. Uh, we've talked about some of these things before. Luke 24, 27 says, Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The scripture is filled with, you know, indications. It's, it's all pointing to the person of Jesus. And so there's this graphic, and we've actually walked through how each of the books in the Old Testament points forward to the person of Jesus. That every, starting in Genesis chapter 3, and then every single book points forward, indicating the person of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, the crucifixion and the resurrection. And then in the New Testament, the Gospels are literally about the life and the ministry and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then what follows are the letters, uh, the, the letters of the disciples and the apostles to the early church. They're all about life with Jesus. And the last book, Revelation, is about the return of Jesus. And so every single thing in the scripture points to the person of Jesus. Friends, it is not an oversimplification to say if somebody asks you, what's the Bible about? You say the main topic is a, it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Okay, and so that's what we want to make sure that we declare is that Jesus is at the very, very center. Jesus says this in John 5. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, he says, but the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. The, the scriptures point to me, he says. So the Bible is given to us so that we might understand the person of Jesus. We might understand the love and the grace of God's heart revealed tangibly in Jesus himself and begin a relationship of love with him that starts now and lasts forever. You know, what C.S. Lewis says this, is this. He says, it is Christ himself who is the true word of God. The Bible, read in the right spirit and with the right guidance of good teachers, will bring us to him. So read in the right spirit with the right guidance of good teachers. I'm sorry you don't have good teachers. You just have me. But we're going we're gonna to keep going after what? Going to the person of Jesus. Jesus as the word of God. Think about this. Uh, Pastor Bill Johnson says, Jesus is perfect theology. Pastor Brian Zahn says, Jesus is what God wants to say. Right? We know that it's not just these guys that are talking about Jesus as the word of God, that the scripture indicates Jesus is the word of God. John 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Friends, what I would love as a church is when we talk about God's word, we actually picture the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's word. Is God's word true? Yes, Jesus is true. Is God's word love? Yes, Jesus is love. And, and so we just picture Jesus at the very center of our understanding of scripture. 
and because Jesus is the topic that the whole Bible is about, and because Jesus is the message that God wants to send, the accurate revelation of his heart of love, then Jesus becomes the lens through which we read all of Scripture. Right, So you see that cross on the top now becomes a window, and it's through the lens of Jesus that we read the entire canon of Scripture. When we read Scripture through the lens of Jesus, it brings a clarity and a depth of understanding that we miss if we read it any other way. You know, an analogy to this would be watching a movie that's supposed to be watched in 3D. Do you remember when watching 3D movies was really, really cool? Maybe when you were like in fourth grade, something like that. But, but it's been a while. But, but you got to think about wearing those glasses. If you're in a movie, a 3D movie, and you take the glasses off, then watching the movie, it's fuzzy. And you kind of can't tell what is supposed to be happening with the way that it's fuzzy and and you get a little headachey trying to do that. But if you put the glasses on, suddenly there's a clarity and an insight that otherwise is missed. Suddenly, all sorts of things now are jumping out at you, literally, because you've put the glasses on. Friends, when you read the Bible, put on your Jesus glasses. Read the entire thing through the lens of Jesus Christ. We need to place Jesus at the very center of our understanding of scripture. We put Jesus at the center of the purposes for our lives. And then lastly, we place Jesus at the center of our relationships with one another. The center of our relationships. And this has to do with how we're called to love one another. How we're able to love one another, regardless of the differences we might have. Differences of background or race or opinion or experience. And we try to noodle with another graphic, and and so I want you to see that this is a graphic. It has at its bottom a sort of a continuum of beliefs or opinions. And um, it it could represent any kind of continuum, a political continuum, economic continuum, social continuum, theological continuum, like any sort of spectrum that we mere mortals create, it's any of those things. And by the way, because it represents many, uh, that's why we just put one side and then the other side, right? Because it's just, it's, it's kind of a vague concept, it's universal. And I want you to know that on any specific continuum, you know, your opinions and your convictions are there. And, and yet you recognize that there is another side, right? There's this other side of belief as well, and, and they have placed themselves there. You have good reasons why you are where you are, and they have good reasons why they are where they are. And the term that's kind of come to my mind is when you think about where you are and why you believe what you believe and what your opinions are, it's not that you pretend that you're right. None of us really pretend that we're right. Here's what we, here's what we pretend. We just, we just think we're right-er. It's not, not that I'm right. You know, I know I'm not perfect. I know I, 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 there's, but I'm just right-er than that person over there. And so it creates distance in our relationships. And, and this is what's so challenging for us, to be able to love somebody who's on the other side of something that we have, an opinion or a belief, etc. But here's the thing. Jesus is at the center, right? He's, he's now, by, by the way, Jesus at the center, it, this does not mean that he's a moderate, okay? That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm saying he actually exists above the continuum. Every continuum we make is man-made. It's artificial, 
Jesus is above it all. Right? No matter where we are on the spectrum, Jesus has an opinion that calls that into question. And he calls us higher and deeper. And he calls us to be more loving. So he's always going to be above any continuum we create. So Jesus is up there. Now, here's what I want you to think about. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's as if you orbit Jesus like the planets in our solar system orbit the sun. Okay, we, we gravitate, in his gravitational pull, we orbit around him. Now check this out. Where you are on the spectrum on one side, somebody else is on the other side. But if you love Jesus, you actually leave that continuum and you begin to draw closer and closer to Jesus. And as you draw closer to Jesus, what happens by definition? You draw closer to one another. You're able to see the dignity and the humanity in the other person's perspective. You're able to start treating them more like an authentic human, more like you would like to be treated yourself, right? When, when you guys draw closer to Jesus, now you might always and forever be on the other side of any particular issue, but as you draw closer to Jesus, you will be able to love them more authentically. Amen. Friends, this is the challenge. Right? This is why the scriptures go after it again and again and again. Why, why uh, it says, dear friends, since God loves us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Or that next verse, God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Friends, as we draw closer and closer to Jesus, as we love him more extravagantly, we'll be able to love one another more authentically. That last verse says, dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one you've heard from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you've heard before. Do you get a sense that we really need to wrestle with love? That we really need to figure out how we bring Jesus at the very center of our relationship so that we can love one another well. And by the way, we're really in, uh, we are intent on practicing what this looks like. And so if you see in your handout, there's a continuing the conversation coming up, exploring what beloved community looks like in, in a church that values diversity. And so we want to practice this. We want to be a part of what it is that Jesus is calling us to with this commandment. Not a new commandment, but an old commandment we've had from Jesus from the beginning, to love one another. And remember how Jesus loved, right? What is it that was a mark of Jesus' love? Jesus, who was that incredible voice for the voiceless, the one who always reached out to the marginalized and the disenfranchised, who wrapped arms around those who were put down or excluded. The lepers, they were outcasts. Jesus wrapped them in. Women, they were looked down upon. Jesus valued them. The poor, the Gentile, the Samaritan, the centurion. And who is it that Jesus came against that he challenged? It was the Pharisee. And the reason is because the Pharisee was certain that they were righter than everyone else. They were certain that they were working for God, and yet they didn't love. And so because they didn't love, they were preventing people from experiencing the love of Jesus. So that's why we want to make sure that we're not getting caught up in the accidental Pharisee. 
And so as we close uh, today, I just want you to understand that if we're going to love, if we're going to be real and sincere in how we love, we need to invite Jesus to the very center. And I don't know where you are on, the, on your faith journey. I don't know where you would put yourself on a theological continuum. But here's what I know. No matter where you are, there is something at the center of your life. There's something there. You've already put something there. And maybe for you, the challenge is you, you need to take fear. And you need to get it off the throne. And you need to enthrone the person of Jesus. Maybe for you it's accomplishment that you take such identity. You get such a sense of worth by what you've accomplished in this world. And that's on the throne. You need to dethrone that. And you need to enthrone the person of Jesus. Maybe for some of you it's a relationship. There's codependency there. And so all of your worth, all of your happiness is reckoned around how the relationship's going. And you need to remove that. And you need to enthrone Jesus. Right? These things aren't bad. These things are not things you have to cut all the way out of your life. You just need to make sure that Jesus is at the very center. So what does it look like for you? Maybe this is a great time to do spring cleaning in your heart. It's a really nice day, right? You think, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do some spring cleaning. By the way, I want to make sure you understand this. Every day this week, I've been preaching this message to myself, and it's been exhausting. I want you to know. I always have to preach this stuff to myself because as much as I talk about love, I need help with it, and my guess is that you do too. And so as we close, let's ask Jesus to help us as we seek to put him at the very center. Right? We want to make sure that we put him at the center of our purpose for living we want to make sure we put him at the center of our understanding of Scripture. And we want to make sure that we put him at the center of how we love one another. So why don't you go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. And let's do that today. Jesus, the visual that I got from you the other day as I was driving along Lake Sammamish was an eagle with his wings spread, motionless, and yet he had caught an uprising and soared higher and higher and higher. And the vision I got is that your love is like that, that as we more fully understand your love for us, as we understand how radical, how sacrificial, how you love us without judgment. You say that you do not condemn us. How your love for us is everlasting. Your love is consistent. That you love us with patience. That your love actually dignifies us. Your love gives us identity. Your love gives us value. And so Jesus, we receive your love today. And we put your love at the very center of our lives. And then because your love's at the center of our lives, we, we want to say back to you that, Jesus, we love you. And we adore you and we praise you and we want to make much of you. And, and, Jesus, even as we say that, we know that we can't do it without your help. And so would you come? 
Would you come? We invite you now to be at the very center of our purpose for living. We invite you to be the center of how we understand your word. And we invite you to be at the center of how we seek to love one another. Lord, we need your help. We're desperate for it. So we pray all these things in your precious name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.